welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP. And here with me tonight is Father Chuck. Hi, everybody. Uh, finally arrived uh, back from his voyage uh, to, to Disneyland, Disney World. Yes. And <laughs> we're glad to have him back. And we also have Matt Wells. Hello, Matt. Yay, <laughs> We're all here with the Masters of Divinity. Welcome to episode 60-something or other. Yes, and, and, uh, and, and apparently we missed an episode. Uh, we've missed a week, um, largely due to uh, Father Chuck being at, at said Walt Disney World. And, and chemtrails. And the chemtrails, yes, that too. Yeah, but Father Chuck, you were at Disney World for a long time. <laughs> for 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 about for about six days, yes. Because I think every time we talked to you on the messenger, it was always something about uh, you were doing a Disney World. So tell us, uh, what, what was this a was this just a just a getaway? It was just a getaway, like a family like trip, a marathon. It was a family yeah. trip. You know, we're like like uh, like Matthew. I actually, I don't think you are anymore, Matthew. But like Matthew has been, we were uh, we are um, annual pass holders <clears throat> to the Walt Disney World Resort. And, um, so we take advantage of that when we have the time, um, cause you know, I have two small children and I'm going to be quite honest. I would probably be an annual pass holder, even if I didn't have two <laughs> small children. Um, cause you know, it's well-known fact uh, on this podcast that we are all fans of Walt Disney world resort and Disney yeah. in general. Mm-hmm. But uh, here's the thing. This is the thing I really, I just have to talk about. Okay. Um, so, since we're talking about creators, this in this little series of ours, I have to I have to talk about. Um, I mean, in general, Disney is a it would be a good topic and, and something to talk about in, in regards to creations. But oh yeah, I had an opportunity. Um, it was it was a bit life changing, actually. Really? Yeah, life changing in the sense that um, thanks to Walt Disney World, I am now a fan of the Avatar franchise. Uh, you might be the only fan of Avatar, Chuck. I don't know, man. Uh, How does it feel to be the only fan base? Dude, <laughs> of, listen. Of, of a property. Listen, here's the thing. Okay, so the first day we were at Disney, we went to um, Animal Kingdom. And by m- most people by now should know that Animal Kingdom, Walt Disney World in Orlando, has added um, the world of Pandora. Which Very is, confusingly, yes. Yeah. yeah, right. So I'm like, when they announced this, I, I rolled my eyes very significantly because I just thought of all of the things that Disney can be doing, you're going to do Pandora. I mean, right. yes, most successful movie of all time or whatever, but like not a single, like it's not entered into the fandom. You don't really see people dressed up as Navi at, at, at conventions and all this kind of stuff. So it's just like, this is ridiculous. Like what a waste of time, money and effort to have an avatar themed section of your park. Right. Right. And then I went to it and I went back two more times. (laughs) (laughs) Really? It is, it is unbelievable JP and Matt. It is, it is amazing. And it has made me a fan of avatar. Um, I mean, I think the movie still has a crap storyline, 
But the yeah. world that it's set in has a lot of material to mine out of it. But here's the thing. So, and I keep saying here's the thing, but here's the thing. We, we wrote on um, Flight of Passage, which is this, there's two rides in the world of Pandora. Um, okay. We did the Flight of Passage, which is the super long ride, which consistently has like 265-minute waits. Wow. Um, that and, is a long wait, my friend. That is yeah. like, you could watch Titanic. Yeah. Ken and I joked <laughs> that we could watch the entire movie of Avatar while in line for the ride. Yeah. That should just be the cue, like the yeah. cue video. <laughs> so, so, so we went, so we had fast passes. So we went on this thing and it is the most immersive, amazing attraction that I've ever, that I've ever been in. Um, it, so you, you ride the Banshee, the flying dragon thing from the movie. Yeah. But it's like you plug into an avatar of a Navi to, to, really? to, to fly on this thing and did they did plug we, you in did we did, matt you're still there did we lose you i'm um, uh, no i'm here okay um so i just i just have nothing to say so okay. far i'm in shock this is fine this is fine because again i'm with you man this was I, I, in my mind avatar was a terrible movie and i was disappointed that this was what jim that james cameron wanted to devote his life to now i want every avatar sequel in front of me um so the ride, so the ride is, is you, you basically, you're sitting on like a motorcycle. Okay. Okay. Right. And so you're basically sitting on this motorcycle. Uh, and the idea is that you're in like a laboratory and you're plugged into a Navi avatar, like in the movie. Um, but you have 3d glasses on and this door opens and it juts you out in front of a four story a four story tall high def curved screen with 3d glasses and then you immediately in the video not actually but you immediately take a thousand foot vertical plunge on this dragon thing and you fly over pandora and it is fun it is exciting it's thrilling it's convincing and it is super immersive. And then you walk out, and the park, it's like walking around in a James Cameron movie. Um, it has a narrative to it. The food, the, the food there is actually the best food in all, of, in all of Disney parks, as far as I'm concerned. Um, really? They have a great gift shop well, where you can what have... What kind of food your, that they have on Pandora? So th- this was actually kind of cool to me, is that they decided to approach it in such a way that it would fit with, with, with this idea. So like the best example is they don't have cheeseburgers. They have... Yeah cheeseburger pods which is okay. it's a chinese bao bun with cheeseburger ingredients oh. inside of it so it looks like you're eating like a big dumpling but it's a cheeseburger that, that actually sounds really good and then they serve it with like root vegetable chips that are like you know like purple potatoes and stuff like that and then the flavoring on that is some kind of like vanilla vinegar or something but they're in um almost like boba like like little like little like beads that pop when you eat them um wow. and then their plated food is like you know you pick a protein and everything whatever but it's really good like but it, it like it has this feel that you but the like even the concept is cool like the restaurant it the idea is that the idea is that you're in pandora a hundred years after the movie took place and that humans and the navi have kind of come to a peaceful agreement and so there's these eco tours that you're taking in pandora but all the buildings used to be um, RDA, which is the company that... See, now I know the names of things from this stupid movie. Now. 
that RDA, <laughs> the company that was mine, that was strip mining the planet for unobtainium. Um, oh, it's like, I hate that yeah, word so much. it's their old, <laughs> it's their old like military base that's now been converted. It's like all run down and stuff. Cause animal kingdom stuff is all kind of run down. That's sort of like the, the aesthetic around the whole park. And like, has it's like sort of run down, but then sort of taken over by like Navi and like humans that are sympathetic to the Navi. And so the restaurant is designed to look like it used to be a military commissary that is now serving as a restaurant for tourists. And so like old power junction, power junctions are like ripped out of the wall and you can see where they used to be. And like, it just has this very aged feel to it. Um, Plus you have the floating mountains over your head, which I thought was going to be super corny. They're awesome. And like forced perspective stuff to feel like you're in a bigger area than you actually are. And then the cool thing is at night, the park becomes a whole different thing because all the plants are bioluminescent plants. And so like all the plants glow, they respond to stuff when you touch them. Um, It's, it's super immersive. Like I was so like, like, like I said, I walked into animal kingdom thinking like, this is going to be lame. And I walked out like, okay, when can I buy avatar on Blu-ray? And (laughs) when can, when does the sequel come out? Um, Mm, Synergy. And then the, and then the other cool thing is, and you'd like this JP, I think is at the gift store, they have a create your own avatar action figure. So you sit in a booth and it scans you and it will do like 3d rotoscaping of a figure. Like you can walk out with your own custom action figure, but it's you as a Navi. Oh my gosh. That sounds like frightening. It's 75 bucks for one of them. I didn't buy one, but I'm not going to lie. I've seriously contemplated buying one. And I'm, Oh, we need masters of divinity Navi action figures. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I think if we could get all three of us together to go to the park one day, I I would totally pay for that for all of us. You heard it here. Listeners. Because uh, you have to be in person, you can't do it from a photo because yeah. it's a 3D scan. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in now. If you're paying, yeah, dude, <laughs> I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Um, but no, man, it's like I said. Like I said, it. I did not like that movie. Like, I, I, actually, I was indifferent. It was just sort of a boring movie to me. Yeah, and the franchise was sort of like eh, about. I don't know what it is, but that park proved that there is a lot of vitality in that franchise, and I am super stoked on it. And I just wasted about like half an hour of our time. That's okay. Talking um, about a theme. And that's record. all the time we have tonight, folks. <laughs> all right. I hope you enjoy Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, no, no, that, that's actually a pretty cool check. I, I know that you, you were kind of messaging us as you were kind of going through it and stuff and telling us how big of a fan of Avatar you were becoming. And this is kind of, it was kind of like blowing your mind. It's blowing my mind. Cause I shouldn't, <laughs> this like shouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe I mean I guess it's just the story it wasn't very good you know and maybe this is something that he's always I say hey James Cameron like maybe it's just meant to be that immersive in order to be enjoyed you know yeah I mean I think that I think like I was actually walking around thinking that I would rather see sort of like like a TV series mm-hmm. kind of like um the twilight zone or something where like each episode is sort of a standalone plot set in that world, like an anthology show, like set in that set in that world. Cause I think that that would be like, I think there's a lot of stuff to mine out of the world because I mean, just flying through it on the Banshee, you see all kinds of crazy animals and stuff that aren't in the movies. Cause what was kind of fun is it teases the ocean in it. You end up going to the beach 
Yeah. And, and that's where the sequel is supposed to go. So it's already kind of like teasing out the next movies and what that world right. piece is going to be like. And it is, it is pretty awesome. I mean, it is, it is pretty awesome. And the idea, the immersiveness of the, of the franchise, I think is a big part of it too, you know, cause like, you know, being a very successful 3d movie and, and all of that. I mean, yeah, the plot was super basic, but yeah. I think the setting was really cool and definitely much cooler than I thought it, than I remembered it being because like I came out of this being like super excited by it. Um, oh, that's cool. And I don't think it was just like successful marketing on it. Like I said, I was, I was fully prepared to just eye roll my way through it. And, <laughs> but then I saw it and I was pretty, pretty stoked on it. Sort of the odds that uh, Disney picks up James Cameron's uh, avatar. I don't know. The, and that's the interesting thing I read about is that this is on a the, the basically the characters and everything were on loan from Fox. Oh, um, really? Yeah, because apparently Fox didn't want a green light avatar. See, again, I read up on stuff like this is nuts. <laughs> Fox didn't want a green light avatar because I didn't think it would make any money. And so uh, and so James Cameron started shopping it around and Disney expressed interest in it. But then okay. Fox stepped in and we were like, oh, wait, hold on. We have first right of refusal on this. And so they, once Disney offered money, they stepped in and, and took it on. So I know that he had already courted Disney once with this. I see. So that, it, it would be interesting. But, I, but I'm sure, you know, Fox is going to, I mean, it's going to be a cash cow for them. I mean, there were so many people at this park, JP. I mean, not for, and people were waiting 265 minutes. I mean, all six days that we were there, we, we looked up on one fast pass. We could never get another fast pass. But the thing is, is that the whole time we were there, we never saw the line low, less than an hour long. Wow. Wait, and even like even like ten eleven o'clock at night, it was still over an hour. You know, sometimes two, three, two and a half hour wait for the ride. And wow. then, and then on top of that is so when you when you book a resort at Disney, you get sixty days. The ride is booked out sixty days out. Wow! Like you have to like in order to in order to. There's a whole way of doing this if you're if you right, know how to do yeah. Disney stuff, but. um yeah, sixty days out, all it, the ride is completely devoid of fast passes. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. So is that probably the most memorable thing at uh, you experience at Disney World? Flying over an alien world on the back of a dragon? Absolutely. So, uh, to our listeners, if you've been listening, you know that uh, we're going to do a, a sort of a short, short, limited series on our favorite creators, and uh, this week. We are focusing on Matt's favorite, which he has chosen. Uh, and who did you choose, Matt? I chose Rob Bell. Surprise. 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 Rob, Matt chose Rob Bell. <laughs> so let me ask you, Matt. Or I'm kind of wondering how I should do this. Should we talk about what we what we chose to, to read, or should I just jump in and... and grill you on you and rob bell oh let's just jump in we'll get into the other the other topic okay. as we're talking all right uh so matt w what did you choose to read and uh what's what works did you select to prepare for talking about rob bell tonight well probably the only one i haven't read all the way through is his latest one yeah um because i life is busy and i haven't been able to read it yet um but uh yeah no i chose him because he he has basically especially back when he did the numa series originally 
Right. And then I used to listen to his sermons when he was a pastor at Mars Hill in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and he kind of changed the way I think about creation. And I don't mean like the biblical account of creation. I mean, being a person who creates. Um, he's kind of changed my view on it. And we talked a lot last week about what we think creation is. And right. he's kind of shaped the way that I see it as being more, because before that, I would have thought it was more along the lines of like, you're making something. Yeah. Um, but he's really, really caused me to see it as a much bigger idea. And that to create something is, like I said, to kind of breathe life into the world around you and kind of um, open people's eyes by speaking a new word into a situation or an event or into uh, modern events and what's going on around you, kind of offering an insight into something and doing it in such a way that it invites other people to join into what you're seeing. Right. And he kind of has this saying that he, he goes, he, he uses a lot if you listen to him talk in any context. And that's like, once you taste, you can't untaste. And once you see, you can't unsee. Um, and he kind of talks about how you just, when you have a vision and something that you want to share with people, it's all you can talk about. And sometimes people won't see it and they won't agree with you. And that'll cause that'll cause discord because they'll attack the idea that you have because they haven't seen it yet, but you've seen something that they haven't seen. And for me to create is to try and have a situation which invites somebody else to see what you've seen. Um, right. And that joins into a whole different conversation, a whole different level of thinking and interacting with each other. Um, so, yeah, when you talked about picking who's your favorite creator, he's the, the first name that came to mind because he's kind of shaped my whole view of the topic. It's funny. I can't I can't help but also think of a, a mutual acquaintance of ours. And that's uh, Sean Scott, because um, he has the coffee shop in downtown West Palm Beach. And he's always talking about creating a space where people can can join together and create a community. Right. Um, and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about that, like, most people would think of creating as, like, building a statue. But for someone like Sean, it's a space. It's anywhere that you're at that you do everything you can to have somewhere where other people can can join together and feel a sense of community and, and unity with each other um, and how that impacts your whole community around you by creating a space. And um, Rob Bell's big thing is about reclaiming space. So it's kind of, he's got a big, kind of the same idea going. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just, it's kind of changed the way I see the concept as a whole. Um, when the creators, you know, when they create, when artists make something, it's sort of their way of communicating to us. Um, which of his works whether it's a book or his NUMA series or interview on a, something on a podcast or whatever, is there, which of his works uh, do you think he is communicating best to you? Like, 
sort of round away saying which of his like works is your favorite, but yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. W- but which of which of I guess which of his works sticks to you that you can kind of that you sort of apply day to day. We will say Rob Bell. Like like if I were to tell you, I've don't know anything about Rob Bell. What should I read or what should I listen to? Like where would I start? Like, um, and, or where well, would you most, think I should start? The most easily accessible would be the book I mentioned last week to listeners that if they've never looked at anything, I told them I would recommend his book, Sex God. That's right. Um, that yeah. really, it really explores our, our inner desire as human beings to connect with the world around us and how that's something that God has placed inside of us and then how that affects our entire world. Um, but probably the number one thing that it's funny you say sticks to you, um, would be grace and peace. Um, and I, I say it's funny because that's where the tattoo came from, but he, he actually taught a sermon that I'm not sure you could even still find it, but it may somewhere be in the, the Mars Hill podcast. If you went back to his church from, and there's two different Mars Hills, so you have to make sure you find the right one. Yeah, not the, um, Mark, not the Mark Driscoll one. Yeah, not that <laughs> one. Um, if you find his Mars Hill podcast, if it's still in there somewhere, he did a sermon on grace and peace that really, back when he did it years ago, and it had to be, I, I, I don't, I'm not even sure, it had to be like eight years ago now. Um, it it kind of changed, it changed everything for me in a positive way. Um, and that was, he, he talked a lot about the concept of, um, how the writer Paul begins every one of his letters with grace and peace. And then he preached a sermon on how everything we do should be started with grace and peace and how in our, in our world, we need to begin with grace and peace and we need to interrupt each other with grace and peace. So in situations where there's discord and and fighting to just go wait wait grace and peace and start there um and again that that sermon also fits into like what i was saying about the creation thing because that's kind of where it began the the concept of how every interaction we have is is an opportunity to invite somebody to see a little more of heaven or to reiterate uh a little more hell in a world that's that's full of of violence and discord and hate how every time we talk to somebody there's a chance to to speak life or to speak more um discord and into a situation and it was a really good really good sermon that's great and Um, then uh, of course there's the book that i told uh jp he needs to read (laughs) So I'm sure we could talk a little about that. Yeah. 33 I, pages about that. I know. I feel so bad. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, I definitely started it. And I will say it is a very brisk read. Uh, it's it's 244 pages, but like I, I'm pretty sure anybody could get through that in like a day, the way it's written. Because uh, it's very unique how it's written. Um, it's sort of broken up in different uh, stream of consciousness to different characters. And it's kind of fascinating. Um. Yeah, Milones Cajones, that's the book that Matt's talking about. And uh, I really liked what I read. Um, I'm actually going to keep reading it, to be honest. I wish I had read the whole thing before we recorded. Um, but from what I took from it was um, 
he has a really interesting um, way of capturing voices. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially in a book like this, when like each voice acts absolutely needs to be distinct. And it's also kind of weird how each voice kind of like totally throws you. Like you're not really expecting it. Um, like but, Rooster? Yeah. Like you, you start off with Rooster and he's so like, basically it's about, it's a story about uh, a motivational speaker and like his crew that's sort of helping him out. I don't know if that's just like, that's like the plot, but that's like, yeah, that's what they, I've been reading. They, the, the, uh, <laughs> elementary school report version of it to give you an idea is it's a motivational speaker who's dedicated his life to empowering and exciting other people who loses his own passion for life so he he goes away to this like retreat place to rediscover it and that's what the book is about yeah and it's it's interesting what i've been reading is how like the main character at least i perceive to be the main character i don't know if he stays that way but main character is like one of his assistants and he's so like disillusioned by the guy and he's so fed up with the guy and he's like this is so lame uh how could be buying all this bull crap and stuff but when you you get into the guy's head he's like having a crisis you know um so i thought that was really fascinating and uh it's actually it's it's also fascinating to me because it's the only like not uh it's the only fiction i've read from him he's mostly non-fiction uh Stuff. Yeah, as, as far as I know, it's the only non it's the only fiction that he's released in any format. And for anybody interested, I think it's still available uh, for free on his website. Yeah, it is. It's where I found which it is initially. Like Rob Robbell.com. You can there's a link on there somewhere to get it in like a PDF format or an EPUB format yeah. for free. And of course since so. it's Rob since it's Rob Bell, he definitely talks about surfing and that was actually my favorite part. That's actually kinda <laughs> where I ended. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I wish I could talk more about it. I haven't read it that much, but I will say from my personal experience, I have read Sex God and, and Velvet Elvis. It was a long time ago, very long time ago. But what I liked about Rob Bell was just how much he made me feel like unburdened, if that makes any sense. Like, um, I didn't have to worry about so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that all these kind of beliefs that I think a lot of people are telling me were wrong to have, or that you can't be on this side, you can't like this movie. He was kind of telling me, no, it's okay. Like that's not really that important. I mean, it's important because you like it, but it's not like you're you're okay. <laughs> no, if if I if I had to sum up. I mean, it's not like I know him personally, even though, I mean, we basically hung out with him. All of us were like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've been there, done but, that, but yeah. But if I had to sum up, based on the sermons I've listened to, the books I've read, his NUMA series and the videos, um, he does Facebook Live randomly and does things like... Uh, he has a cooking show where you don't actually cook. He just does smoothies. <laughs> um He does all these different things to interact with people, and I've gone and seen him speak a few times. And I think he would be summed up, his ideology to me, I can't say that word right now, but anyway, um, ideology, there you go, uh, is basically like 
you might have these thoughts or concerns or questions that <laughs> seem off the wall and that other people have told you um, place you outside the conversation, but that's okay, let's talk. Yeah. Um, and whenever you hear him speak or read something by him, to me, it's, it's like it's an invitation to join into a conversation. Um, and that's what I like about it is to me, he, uh, he, what he creates more than anything is the opportunity for, for discussion. And he allows room for, for voicing an opinion and discussing it in a way where you don't feel attacked. You actually can talk about it. Right. And even if you don't agree in the end, you never feel like it was because you were an idiot. <laughs> you just feel like, um. You just feel like the views are different, but we can keep talking. Right. And yeah. that's something that I think is very lacking in today's world is the ability to continue talking. Rob Bell was someone that I did not like for a really long time. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I, I was <laughs> – shocker. I've been smug before. Um, <laughs> no. No. <laughs> and, no, not at all. And I, I, for one thing, I, I kind of lumped Rob Bell, I just sort of lumped him as somebody who was trying really hard to be cool. You know, like yeah. all of his books had this really cool minimalist design to it and all this stuff. And so I just was very dismissive of it. And of course, I'm, you know, my, my biggest exposure to him was working at a bookstore in seminary. And of course, I'm, I'm in the midst of all of my academic rigorous study and I'm reading three four inch thick books and you know talking about you know <laughs> Japanese theology and all this stuff so I I looked at Rob Bell as just so simple yeah. I bought Velvet Elvis so that I could at least be aware of what was going on because I knew it was a popular book and I couldn't really I didn't really get much into it because I just was so dismissive of him as being just too shallow and what what happened what really changed for me was our bookstore got um, his book Drops Like Stars, but like the first version of it, which was like a, was a coffee table format book. And it cost $45. And I just remember thinking, you're going to charge $45 for this book that is like 50 pages or something. It's mostly pictures. So one Saturday, it was slow at the bookstore. I'm like, I got to read this thing. So I read through it. And... So when Matt said he was going to pick Rob Bell as a creator, there's a part of me that thought, oh, but he's, you know, he's a nonfiction writer. That's not, that's not creative. But then as I thought more about it, Matt, after you, pick, you picked it, you know, even on, during the episode when we recorded that, I thought of Drops Like Stars and I thought of Velvet Elvis because I realized from a technical creative standpoint, meaning, you know, arranging words on paper and that kind of, and that kind of stuff, um, there was a genius to Drops Like Stars. And I realized he did something it was basically a sermon of his put in a format but it was in a format that couldn't be done any other way mm -hmm. and and that kind of stuff fascinates me like that's one of the reasons why i love watchmen um alan moore and dave gibbons watchmen as a graphic novel because you know he it, it, it's it's a story told in the format it can't really be fully like it, it, it it's meant for its medium yes right, case yeah. in point case in point the movie <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Um, and so, so reading Drops Like Stars really changed me a little bit. It changed my opinion on Rob Bell. I was like, okay, this is actually really cool. Like, this is, he's doing something very interesting here. 
And then I read Velvet Elvis, and I realized there's a lot of deep stuff in there. And I've, I've gone back to Velvet Elvis on a few things. And particularly, he's been very, um, Rob Bell's work has been very influential on me in reconnecting with the Jewish roots of Christianity, because that's something that he's really big on. Right. And, and I realize he's, I don't want to say like, because I think it's cheesy to say like, you know, to, to kind of do the new C.S. Lewis kind of comparison stuff, because that's something that a lot of Christians try to do. But there's something very C.S. Lewis-esque to what Rob Bell is doing, which is taking these very rich, very deep um, Christian spiritual ideas and putting them in a format that is, ex- that is super accessible and disarming yeah. and really reminding us that the Christian faith doesn't, it can be simple. It doesn't have to be difficult. Um, you know, the ramifications of what it, what the beliefs are can be difficult because it, it, it offers a very radical counter narrative to the world. But it, you know, the idea that this stuff needs to be, you know, academic level writing is really not a good thing. And the fact that one that he embraces the spiritual aspects of the Christian faith, which is something so few evangelical Christians um, um, were doing. It's, it's changed a little bit now. Um, but that he could do this in such a way like a book. His books are formatted like a blog post. They're very super readable. Um, yeah. But they really make you think about stuff. And and I really like that. And so the stuff that you two, you, JP and, you, JP and Matt, were talking about, this idea that he sort of invites a conversation. He invites you to think about it. He invites you, you know, it's not... He's not holding your hand and walking you through stuff. And really, the thing that I think about him when I listen to his podcast and other things is the dude is super enthusiastic. And his enthusiasm for the stuff that he's into really comes through. And that really drove home to me when uh, Kana and I were driving some – we we did a road trip. And so we were listening to the audiobook of Sex God, which he reads. And we love that he would randomly just stop reading and just make a comment and be like – really. Yeah, he just randomly stops like, I just really love this thing right here, this idea. And he just like, his enthusiasm <laughs> for his own work was That's coming funny. through. And, yeah. and that He'll kind even of, like start laughing in the middle of his audiobooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Really Listening to his audiobooks is awesome, JP. You should do it. But like, yeah. you know, so he's, he's, he's really enthusiastic about what he believes. And that enthusiasm comes through in the work. And there's that, and, and it kind of makes me think of what um, Patty Jenkins recently said in interviews about Wonder Woman and how we've made sincerity a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. And Rob Bell's a super sincere person, and, he reali- and he's really, really driving home the fact that the Christian faith is something that you should be sincere about, too, and that the ramifications of things like grace and peace are huge, but they should be liberating and freeing and, and all this stuff. And, and so... I'm just I, I'm really impressed with the way that he takes a lot of stuff and he presents it in a way that is very accessible. I mean, um, my my favorite book of his is um, Love Wins. And what I love about Love Wins, um, aside from the controversy, I mean, it was a book I bought the day it came out and I read it the week it came out, um, is how he takes a concept as as challenging for Christians as the idea of hell and eternal damnation and the idea of universal salvation and other things. And he presents the, this really, this really nuanced view that to me is not a problem if you read his book and really is very consistent with what scripture presents. Um, But he does so in such a way that it's like, it's like a, it's like a 200 page book, maybe 
rather than, you know, a a 500, 700 page NT write tome on, (laughs) on this stuff. So that's to me, the thing about Rob Bell that I really appreciate as a creator is the way that he, from a technical standpoint, can take really rich stuff and present in a very simple, clean, basic way, which also fits the design aspects because he's really into like, you know, modernist, minimalist design tropes and that right. all it's all consistent for him so i i just I'm, I'm just i'm amazed by that by that work and that he showed and that you know i dismissed him very early and i really shouldn't have um and um i think actually the christianity would be better if there were more people doing the kind of work he's doing because a lot of evangelical christians will write really simplistic stuff but even though rob i guess is kind of sort of evangelical he's not a right-leaning evangelical. He's a very, not at all, very more ancient-minded kind of person. And the tendency there is to write these big, thick, impressive books. And here he is, just making things very conversational and down to your level, to the average person who actually read this stuff. Right. And you know, I don't think like, um, you know, one of my favorite Shakespeare quotes is, uh, "Brevity is the soul of wit." Yeah. And I always kind of try to incorporate that, like, in my writing and, and, and basically everything I do. Like, I come from a family that likes to monologue, <laughs> and I used to monologue. And once I kind of learned about that kind of saying, like, just to kind of choose your words wisely. And if you can say something in a sentence and still make it profound, like, you don't have to mm-hmm. show your work. You and know so, what I mean? And now you host a podcast with two monologuers. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do i'm I, i'm actually curious about something um when he sort of be, kind of began his uh when he started to become very popular and sort of m- more well known in the mainstream i think it was my maybe his his 12th hairstyle um <laughs> <laughs> i was telling matt the other day Chuck, that uh, going through all these NUMA videos and all this research I was doing, I was like, he has changed his hair a lot. <laughs> He's gone through a lot of hairstyles. Um, there was something called the Emerging Church at the right. time. Or there was an emer- Matt tells me that there's an, a, the Emerging Church and the Emergent Church, and that blew my mind that they are two separate things. <laughs> sort of. Well, yeah. They're, they're sort of, they would claim that they were two separate things at the time. So they they were very similar. I will say that. Right. Sure. And they, he was, they would say there's a distinction. And amongst my peers, he was sort of the whipping boy when it came to criticizing the emerging, emergent church, whatever. Is that, is, is the emerging emergent church still like a thing? It depends on who you ask. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like hipster. Right. Um, it's, I, I guess it's still around, but it kind of well, it's kind of got left the conversation. Well, the thing is, is that evangelical Christianity has pretty much moved past that term and that concept. Um, yeah. But Episcopalians and Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and all them are still kind of using it, kind of sorta. I don't know, but yeah, emerging, as I understand it, emerging church is a is sort of an umbrella term, mm-hmm. referring to how the church is adapting to drastic social change and societal change in the West. The emergent church was a much more narrow outgrowth thing happening within particular church denominations that had a very somewhat consistent aesthetic. I feel um, like an episode is being born out of this right now. Like we could do an episode. On that. <laughs> actually, we probably should. It'd be kind of fun. Uh, yeah. 
you know, but my thing is, is if you're talking about a church that's meeting in like a cool, either like an old rundown church, like building or yeah. like an art gallery and there's lots of organic coffee and, <laughs> yeah. and like or, eclectic instrumentation and or, the pastor uh, the sits person. on a stool when he gives a sermon, then you're looking at an emergent church. <laughs> or there's somebody uh, painting. Yeah, some painting. Basically, yeah. basically like how TRL would get at, at PBA, total, the Thursday. Not TRL, was it, that was Thursday. That was, T, was, T, was it TNL? Thursday Night yeah, Live? Thursday Night Live. You know how they would get that? You, know, you have your station with somebody painting and, you know, like <laughs> yeah. one of those like like magnetic poetry walls where people are doing th- Yeah, that's that to me is, emer- is the emergent church. Right, um, right. It's also kind of evangelicals discovering liturgy. That's also kind of. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, that would actually be a fun episode to do. Yeah, that would be. Um, Matt, you, you've met Rob Bell a few times. Yes, I have. Um, when did you meet him? What was it like? Uh, I, I, you went. To, oh, oh, just give us a history of your relationship with uh, meeting Rob Bell. The, the the times you've run in with him. Um, the first time I went to the Drops Like Stars speaking tour, actually. Okay. Um, and got to see him there, and then I went to L.A. and spent it was actually called two days with rob bell at the viper room in la that's right it's a very um, exclusive event yeah it was a little, little less than 100 people in a room with him a very small room if anybody's familiar with the viper room it's very small um and then i saw him in miami at another two-day event he did and then of course i mean we had him on the podcast right I say that because in the podcast, if you listen to it, you hear him say, I've met you before. <laughs> yeah. He's like, wait, you in the middle. I've met, I've met you before. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I did. And I actually got to a, not for the purpose of trying to, because I had no false ideas that he was going to read it, but it was still awesome that I got to hand him a copy of my book. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, and- I, and I do remember you uh, sending a copy to his hotel once. Yeah, that was your idea. <laughs> um, but so yeah, he probably I, has like two copies of your book. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's possible that there's two of them out there. And he's like, oh, that's the guy who did that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, so I've got to, got to meet him a few times. And, and yeah, it was, it was neat. He's, he's a... Just like if you meet him in person and have the chance to stand and talk to him, it is exactly like listening to one of his sermons or reading his book. Mm-hmm. So you know how most people, it's like, just because you know their works doesn't mean you know the person. Um, with him, it's very, very close. Um, there's very little difference between him in person and and what you see on everything else. It's just uh, possibly the only difference is that it's not scripted out ahead of time. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, it's it's he's a he's a very interesting guy to 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 talk to. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, he it was. I mean, I enjoyed talking to him. That was a really fun. Did you did you guys think about listening to the to the, our our actual episode with him before to prepare for this? Because <laughs> I just <laughs> I, I didn't. 
<laughs> we all we all forgot that that actually fit within the context of this conversation. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, but, uh, I got to I got to meet him that that one time that he was in uh, Oklahoma City last year, and uh, he gave me a hug. That was nice of him. He recognized <laughs> me right away, and he hugged me. <laughs> and we just had small talk. It wasn't anything huge. Just uh, he was signing books and. Was he, you know, he should have been like, Hey, did you make that movie yet? No. Did you make that <laughs> movie? Make that movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Sorry, Rob Bell. <laughs> no, maybe we could do like an audio version. <laughs> Send it to him. An audio, an audio, pl- an audio, an version audio of, play of an audio play of Matt learning to surf. <laughs> yes. <laughs> an audio dramatization. <laughs> yeah. I think we could do it. Probably um, me being eaten by a shark. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I want to say, I just want to say, Matt, that like when I finally do teach you to surf, like that's gonna, like, you're gonna have nothing to worry about. But now I'm like afraid that there's like, it's inevitable now that it has to happen. That like, I'm yeah, gonna take you out the... surfing, and maybe you're not gonna get attacked by a shark, but that one's gonna like brush your leg. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't doubt it. It's just, it's out to get me. <laughs> well, you should just like. You know, just just fly against the, the the face of fate and just go to New Smyrna Beach and just train there. Like, yeah, dude. <laughs> Look, maybe the, I don't know. I flew on the back of a banshee across Pandora, across the <laughs> across the Valley of Moara, uh, because oh my gosh, yeah, dude, because uh, I <laughs> I needed to confront my fear of falling in heights and all of that. I did it. I did it. I confronted a fear. I rode that ride by myself, by the way, because Ken and I had to do a ride share thing because we had the small children with us. And yeah. I'm—you guys know me—I'm terrified of heights and falling. Like, like Soren yeah. freaked me out I, the first time I rode on it, and I, I did that. So, Matt, you—you you can surf. <laughs> you have to. Yeah, surf. yeah. If it's a 3D simulator, I can surf. Matt, just bring your gun. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> just, just bring your gun. Just shoot. Yeah. Should be able to do that, right? Like Brody and Jaws too. Yeah. <laughs> get the get the wax and the candle. Well, it's from Jaws too. But I should say that in the context of our series of being uh, creators and things that they create, um, another aspect of his works that that I do love is, and especially if you get the chance to see him speak in person or catch those little things on the the audiobook or his little backstories if you listen to his podcast he is even in the classical understanding of being a creator he is very much a a creative person oh um, yeah and the the thing that kind of launched him into being well known is that numa series and he tells the story of how he came up with this idea and he went and they tried to get somebody to to make this series. And his idea was to do these series of ser- very short sermons that are done while there's a video playing that at first glance seems to have absolutely nothing to do with what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. But in the end, ties together, not always in a very like straightforward, here's the point kind of way, but it does always go along with it. Um, and people told it he got shut down right and left, being told you can't do that. It just doesn't work. 
Um, and now there's there's people out there that have done that idea like crazy since he he started it. Um, oh yeah, I, I remember when when it was getting popular. Uh, you know, I was a film student. I had dude, I had so many people coming up to me, like so many like uh, you know want to be pastor kids who who are like going to school to become priests and pastors and whatever like i want to do like something like numa can you help me do that i'm like what is this numa thing everyone keeps telling me about <laughs> like they want me to film so yeah yeah, yeah and he um, talks about and it's funny because because father chuck said um one of the reasons he didn't used to like him is like his minimalist book covers and all that stuff and i've actually heard him talk about how he does spend so much time with the people who like create the covers of his books because he said that aesthetic is something that has a huge importance and we don't always realize how big a deal it is. And he used to always give the example of if you ordered an Apple product and you got like a MacBook that it shows up in this plain white box with like this very sleek and, and very straight corners and simple. And yet it just excited you and you instantly knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really funny to watch him unbox his newest book he got a copy of it and went on a Facebook Live where he opened up his first copy that he was sent of his new book. And it was funny because he's looking at the cover and he's like, oh, it's really cool, isn't it? And he's like, you see it? It's really cool. And he's like, and let's take off the dust jacket and see. And he's like, yellow. That's an interesting choice. <laughs> so it was, it was really funny. It's really funny to see his reaction to it. He's like, oh, he said, okay. Um, so yeah, but the cover is really good, isn't it? Um, but yeah, he, he does. And he did a, he did like a seminar called the art of the sermon yeah. where he talks about how um, we've kind of lost what sermons are supposed to be and how he said the original sermons were almost like this guerrilla theater. Um, and we've lost this, this aspect of it being something that, that held that held people's attention and presented truth and stuff in a way that was easy for them to grasp and yet very profound at the same time. Um, so he has these very creative ideas. And I mean, he's even done stage shows at Largo with Pete Holmes. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to see him as a creative person, just the, these things he comes up with, these ideas, um, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. Yeah. And I mean, my criticism of all that for him was back when I was young and arrogant and, you know, as opposed to being old and arrogant, um, <laughs> around, around this kind of stuff. Cause you know, he's, cause he's right. Aesthetics are super important. I mean, obviously I'm in a church that's full of pageantry, um, Aesthetics do play a very important role in all of this, and um, and yeah, I, I like I said, I'm I'm a fan. I'm on board with what the guy's doing, and I I wholeheartedly support it, and think that he's done really great things for the church. Yeah, I think so too, and I agree. And um, I don't know. I I think that it makes me sad that there's so much. Um, I don't know that there are so many people that don't like him. And I know it's probably not healthy to keep focusing on that, but it's like, I don't know. I feel like if people actually just kind of listen to him and, and, and kind of let him do his thing and instead of freaking out every time, you know, relevant does some kind of weird clickbait headline about him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they would like him too. Is, you know? is relevant still relevant? No, no. no. 
I was just thinking of any. So I was trying to come up with a Christian publication, man. I don't even know if they do clickbait. I don't know. Yeah, they do. They that magazine. <laughs> I I I could do a whole episode just going on a tirade about that magazine, but um, yeah. I, I won't. I won't do that. So all right. Well, okay. Well, that is all the time we have this week, uh, Matt. Thank you so oh. much for choosing Rabel. And um, before we go. Uh, we should probably announce next week's creator, shouldn't we? I think we should. Matt, are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah I guess I'm okay with that. Well, <laughs> uh, so I'm curious. Who do you think Father Chuck is picking? I feel like you were so moved by Avatar during your Disney trip that you're going to choose James Cameron. Matt, what do you think? I, I have no options that I'm willing to share out loud on a recorded podcast. Really? <laughs> what if he what if he just chooses jesus like that's i thought that was off limits <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> i gotta I got be honest I, i'll be quick about this but I, I gotta be honest this was hard this was really hard for me um, i still haven't chosen mine so last week i last week i was for sure for sure gonna pick steve jobs oh really and um, but then I realized it's, it's, it's sort of like talking about, about Rob Bell again. Same kind of concept, right? I mean, it's, you know. <laughs> Almost. It really, it really is, yeah. actually. <laughs> um, and so instead, it, I was, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure when this hit me, but instead I want us, I think we should talk about someone who has had an unbelievable, profound impact on pop, pop culture, global pop culture. Um, okay. Who has influenced each and every one of our lives in very important and intimate ways, and right. we are probably not immediately aware of that. Katy Perry. Oh, no. <laughs> I want us to talk about Shigeru Miyamoto. Shigeru is that the Nintendo the employee, Nintendo the the creator uh-huh. of Donkey Kong, Super Mario Brothers, The Legend of Zelda, and has a Pikmin. Um, Star Fox, F-Zero, he has had his hands in almost every Nintendo-produced creation, um, and I think he is, I've been actually spent the past week and a half, instead of reading Rob Elsa, reading up on stuff about him, and I, I think that that will be, he's okay. the person I want to talk about. That's fascinating, Chuck. I, I couldn't even guess that you would have chosen him. Um, I don't know how I'm going to prepare for it because I I haven't had a I haven't owned a Nintendo since I was a child. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'll figure it out. You know, you could just. Um, so what's his name again? Shigeru Miyamoto. Shigeru. Shigeru. S H I G E R U M I Y. Episode, guys. <laughs> All right, so look him up. Yeah, you can also just like Wikipedia, Super Mario Brothers. His name is listed in like the (laughs) creator part. Um, But yeah, so I I, he is considered as he's you know they consider the Steven Spielberg of video games. Um, And I just I think he would be a fascinating person for us to talk about, and I am fascinated by him. So Great, let's do it. I'm down. Uh, so bust out those Nintendo's kids. Uh, maybe uh, read some back issues on the Nintendo Power. Nice. <laughs> Call the Nintendo Hotline. Break out the Power Hotline. Break out the Power Glove. It's so bad. Oh, there you go. Watch The Wizard, where they talk about Mario <laughs> yeah. 3. 
yeah, do that. Oh, dude, I saw the Wizard of Theaters. I was stoked for that. Movie. I saw it like three times in theaters. Nice. <laughs> All right, Lewis, baby. That's right. That's right. Uh, Matt Wells, thank you so much. You're welcome. And Father Chuck, thank you. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you, Matt, for the topic for bringing us back yes. to Rob. Yeah. And uh, be sure to listen to uh, our Rob Bell episode. It's it's somewhere in the back. Episode twelve. Episode 12. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, thank you for listening. Join us next week. Everyone have a wonderful week and a good journey. Good journey. Good journey. Good journey.